Welcome to our communion worship service for the month of February, the Love Month. Whether you are part of our faith family or someone shared with you this link, it is my hope that we will all fall in love with Jesus even more. Jesus challenges us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As our worship leader leads us in singing, We are an offering. Let us join Him as a way to prepare our hearts, not only to worship God, but also to listen to what He wants to say to us today. Thirteen, 16-year-old Ethan Couch, while driving under the influence of drugs and alcohol, plowed through a group of people by the side of the road in the state of Texas, killing four people and injuring nine others. Before sentencing, Ethan's defense attorneys argued that he was suffering from a condition called affluenza. They claimed that Ethan Couch, because he was born very rich, had no understanding of boundaries because his parents had never given him any. So all of his life, he thought that his wealth can buy him anything, can afford him any privilege. They argued that because of his wealth, he could not make the right judgment. Therefore, what he needed is rehabilitation instead of prison. The judge, unbelievably, bought into the argument and gave Couch a really light sentence of probation, 10 years probation, to undergo therapy. Two years later, a video was posted online showing Couch drinking at another party. And for violating his probation, he was given a two-year prison term 
but he fled to Mexico with his mother. He was recaptured after a manhunt and detained for two years. Released in 2018, he was again detained last year for failing a drug test. Indeed, many people, they suffer from affluenza because riches and money have a strange effect of blinding us and distorting the way we see things. It has so much power that it can become very dangerous. That's why Jesus warns us again and again about money. In fact, if I would preach on money as often as Jesus preached on money, I wouldn't have a church today. Good thing I only preach about money once a year. And yet, Jesus would constantly remind us to watch out for the dangers of money as the greatest hindrance to following Him. Today, we will look at someone in the Bible who is suffering from affluenza, and let's see how Jesus deals with him. Years ago, I came across a secular self-help book entitled, Why You Are Dumb, Sick, and Broke. I do not recommend this book, most especially if you have self-esteem issues. Dumb and sick na, broke pa. The author shows us how to overcome the forces that keep you dumb, sick, and broke and teaches you how to take action to become smart, healthy, and rich. Now, all of us want those. There are four things that we human beings rely on for security. Money, power or influence, youth or health or well-being, and intellect or the ability to be good at something. But interestingly enough, those same four things, if relied upon for security, will actually keep us away from what is true security. Today, we will look at the story of a young man who had it all, who had all four of these. The story is recorded in three of the four Gospels, and we will look at Luke's account today. So you can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 18. Chapter 18, starting with verse 18. Here, Luke calls him a ruler. Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 19 describes him as a young man, probably below 40 at the prime of his life. Mark's gospel tells us that he is very rich. Luke also says that he is extremely wealthy, and Matthew adds that he had great possessions, meaning he really owned a lot of stuff. Probably he has a lot of expensive things, livestock, properties, and maybe houses. That's why we call him the rich young ruler. He could do whatever he wants. He has everything in this life. He's got money, he's got power, he's got influence, and he was even very religious. What more could you ask for? He's the quintessential successful person by secular standards, the ideal man. In today's culture, he's probably an influencer, maybe a TikTok or a YouTube star, respected and followed by many. Every parent would want him to, for their daughter. Every pastor would want him to be in their church. But despite having all of this, despite having all the success, this young man knew he still lacked something. Something was still missing in his life. So he went to Jesus to find out what he needed. When you read the Gospel accounts, you would realize that everyone who comes to Jesus wants or needs something from Him. The blind, they wanted to see. The deaf, they wanted to hear. The women who bled, she wanted healing. Everyone has an agenda, a need, a request from Jesus. So the question is, if this rich young ruler already has everything, then what does he want from Jesus? What does he need from a carpenter's son? 
Mark tells us that he runs to Jesus. He falls down on his knees. And from his action, we can tell that he was really sincere. And he asked the right question. The question that every pastor wants to hear from the members. Good teacher. The phrase good teacher at that time was actually reserved only for God. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A rephrase of this question is found in verse 20 of Matthew. What do I still lack? Now, what's wrong with these two questions? There are three wrong assumptions or perspectives here. First, what must I do? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, What good deed must I do? For this rich young man, salvation is something that you do, something that you work for. Second wrong assumption, what do I still lack? For this man, salvation is something that you add to your life, just like another possession to be purchased and added to your collection, just like another house. Third wrong assumption, the word inherit. How do you inherit something? For example, your parents leave you a piece of land. Do you work for it? No. An inheritance is given to you. You don't work for an inheritance. So there's contradiction in the man's question. You may be surprised by Jesus' answer. Instead of addressing the issue, Jesus asks him, why do you call me good? Now, you may wonder, why did Jesus respond this way? Well, he's actually answering that man's question indirectly. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. From the onset, Jesus is already correcting his wrong notion of goodness. He's making clear to the man the actual standard of goodness and that only God is good because God is a standard of goodness. So Jesus is saying, if goodness, if moral excellence is the basis to get to heaven, then everybody fails because no one is good enough except God. Therefore, inheriting eternal life cannot be a matter of goodness. It is not something you do. So what Jesus is doing here is to turn his attention away from what he must do, what he has achieved, to instead focuses, to focus on who Jesus is. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about me because I am the way. You inherit eternal life through me and not on what you do. In inheriting eternal life is through a person and not through good deeds. Now, Jesus himself tells us what eternal life is. In John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ, not doing something for God. Eternal life is not something that you do. It is someone you know and receive in your heart. So Jesus is challenging him. Do you really know me? Who I am? He is moving the emphasis from what do I do to who you are, who Jesus is, from his own ability to Jesus' identity. Many cults today would misquote this verse in an attempt to justify their wrong belief that Jesus is not God. But notice, in the passage, Jesus did not say, don't call me good. Rather, he asked, why do you call me good? Jesus is not denying that he is good nor is he denying that he is God. In fact, he's doing the opposite. He's extending the man's logic here. The logical conclusion is, 
if Jesus is good as the young man claims, then he must be God, for there is no one good except God alone. So the equation is, if Jesus equals good, and only God equals good, then Jesus equals God. Now, let's go back to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Most educated Jews during that time, including this rich young ruler, would probably know the standard answer, and that is, you keep the law. This young man was probably a religious leader in the synagogue, and he grew up reading the laws of Moses, and his whole life was conditioned to obey them. Jesus knew that the ruler knows the answer to his own question. That's why he told him, you know the commandments. And he starts enumerating to him six of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, check. You shall not commit adultery, check. It is checklist Christianity, just like what many practice today. You attend church, check. You read the Bible, check. Now what do you notice from this list? Notice that Jesus focuses on the last six commandments which deal with other people. And he leaves out the first four commandments which deal with God. Now, you may wonder, if this rich young ruler already knew the answer to his own question, then what did he want from Jesus? I believe what he is really seeking after from Jesus is affirmation, validation, the honor that he would receive in front of the crowd. He wanted the endorsement of Jesus. After all, Jesus was the most famous teacher in all of Israel during that time. He just wanted a gold star of affirmation to all of his achievements. Now, how does he respond? All these things I have kept since I was a boy. This was the moment that he was waiting for to say that line, I have kept all the laws. What was he expecting Jesus to say? Wow, you are a truly righteous person and you shall inherit eternal life. But things didn't work out as he planned. Instead of affirming him, Jesus challenges him. One thing you still lack, sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. Now, you may be confused right now. Is Jesus saying you will have eternal life if you keep the commandments? No! Jesus is actually saying the opposite. He is answering the man's question from his own wrong viewpoint. What must I do? If salvation is based on what we do, then this is what we must do by our own strength. But if we are to do this by our own strength to inherit eternal life, then Jesus is saying, you have to be perfect. That's why you will never be good enough by God's standard, because the standard is perfection. That's why Jesus lists the Ten Commandments. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? The commandments or the law is not the means to salvation or to eternal life. The Ten Commandments is like a mirror to show us what's wrong with us, to show us how ugly we are. You see, we don't use the mirror to clean our face or to fix the problems with our face. You use the mirror to show us the pimples, to show us what's wrong. The mirror is meant to show us the problem. God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to show us our problem of sin, that no one is good. And it is not the law that saves us, but it shows us that we need a Savior. That is why Jesus ends this passage by saying, What is impossible with men is possible with God. In answer to the disciples' question, Who then can be saved? 
You see, it is impossible for men to obtain salvation by their own ability to keep the law because they will always fail one point or another. Salvation is only made possible in our lives by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. Our salvation is only made possible and available because Jesus lived a perfect life in obedience to everything in the law that God requires. Now, what can I do to be saved? The answer is nothing because Jesus has already done it for us. Next question. Is Jesus saying that if this man would sell everything that he has, then he will enter heaven? Again, no. Jesus is challenging his obedience to all the Ten Commandments. You say you obey all the law. Okay, let's just take the first one. The first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus is saying, look, you already have a God in your life, in your heart. And this God happens to be your possessions. Jesus exposes the hidden idol in this young man's heart. For him, his idol was his riches. So the very first commandment he already violated. Jesus is saying, you can never get to the true God unless you get rid of those fake idols, those fake gods in your life right now. You see, the issue here is not being wealthy. Jesus is not simply talking about money, but what it is that hinders you from following Him. What are the idols in your heart that takes the place of God? Now, let's go back. To Jesus challenge sell everything you have give to the poor then come follow me many people skip this verse or try to go around it did Jesus really mean sell all your possessions and give to the poor yes the verse is straightforward Jesus is actually testing him do you love your money more than you love God if you say you love God more than your money Prove it. And Jesus is giving that same challenge to us today. You say you love God more than your stuff, more than your relationships, then prove it. Has there ever been a time that you sold all your possessions in order to give to the poor? Have you ever sold something that you liked so that you can give to others? If you say, I love people, more than my money have you ever shown it and i'm not saying like you have this pair of shoes for three years they're worn out so you donate them to charity and you pat yourself on the back oh i'm such a saint the truth is you just wanted to get rid of those shoes because there's no more space in your shoe rack for your new shoes it's not about the leftovers. That's why Jesus is asking the rich young ruler to sell all of his possessions. It is letting go of all of the things that you actually love, not the leftovers that you don't need. God is not asking you to give him what you don't need because that's not a proof that you love him. Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Show me that you really love me more than your money. Then come follow me. Notice the word then. It is a prerequisite to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. You should love God more than anything or anyone else. You cannot love Jesus if you love money more. You cannot follow Jesus if you are following your money. If God is really first in your life, if Jesus is your Lord, then everything and anything else becomes trivial compared to Him. I'm not saying money in itself is bad. Money, relationships, 
children, they are good things. But when you replace God with these things, then they become bad things. Someone once said, idolatry is simply taking a good thing, make it a God thing, and then it becomes a bad thing. Take note, Jesus did not require everyone he comes across to sell everything they have in order to follow him. Nobody in the Bible was ever asked to sell all their possessions and give up everything like that. Even Zacchaeus was only asked to give away half. And there is no rule that says all Christians to follow Christ must first sell everything. But he says it to this man. Why? What's the reason? Because Jesus knew that riches is the greatest hindrance for this young man to follow him. So the way to deal with it is to have drastic measures. The way that you deal with an alcoholic or a gambler, you have, they have to surrender what they are addicted to. When Jesus called the disciples, he asked them to leave behind their fishing nets and their fishing boat to give up their profession because that's the greatest hindrance of following him. When God called Abraham, he told him to sacrifice his only son because he knew that this child was, was his greatest hindrance that stands in the way to following him. Jesus is saying, I want the most important thing in your life right now. Surrender it to me. Now, what is it for you? Is it your child? Is it your spouse? It could be your business or your possessions or it could be your position. Until you give that up, you won't be able to be a wholehearted follower of Christ. And that is the key to discipleship. That is the key to following Jesus Christ. What is the first place in your life right now? Is it the relationships? Is it your health? Is it your beauty? Is it lust? Jesus is saying, give it up if you want to follow me. Give it up if you want to follow me. The issue here is not about the money or the possessions. It is putting money and possessions first before God. The issue here is not the relationships. It is putting those relationships first before Jesus Christ. And that's why our giving, our offering is essential to discipleship. Discipleship and giving are intricately intertwined. Why? Because discipleship is about letting go. It is about surrendering. surrendering dying to yourself, to your own plans, to your own ambitions. Disciple-making is actually a process of letting go. Letting go of your dreams that are not God's plan in your life. Letting go of people, of relationships. For some, maybe it's an addictive habit that you need to let go. For this young man, it was to let go of his riches of his things. It may be something else for you. It is in giving, in letting go of that thing, whether it's money or possessions, that you can prove that you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ and not a follower of mammon. Mammon means treasure or riches. And you've got to choose. It's a choice. You cannot choose both. You cannot choose to follow both. Following Jesus is a choice. Now, how did a rich young ruler respond to Jesus' invitation? He walked away, grieving. Some versions say sad, but the word here is actually grieving. That should be the correct translation because he was not willing to part with his own riches. Yes, he came to the right person. He asked the right question. The only problem is he didn't like the answer. He was so close 
to eternal life. But he lost everything that day. You know, following Jesus will cost you something. Not following Jesus will cost you everything. Let me repeat. Following Jesus will cost you something. Not following Jesus will cost you everything. From this young man's response, we can see that his possessions owned him. Now, brothers and sisters, who owns you? Will you follow your possessions or will you follow Jesus Christ? You know, discipleship is like a game of thrones. In the story, there are actually two rulers, Jesus Christ and the rich young ruler. But there's only one throne. There's something already on the throne of the rich man's heart. And it is not Jesus. It was his riches, his possessions. What's on the throne of your life? I've shared this story before. In Africa, on, on any gourmet table, they serve this one dish called monkey brains. You know how they capture the monkeys? They will get a little box and they will cut a hole in this box, big enough so that the monkey can slip its hands into the box. Then they will tie this box on a tree and they will fill it with nuts and fruits and everything that the monkeys like. As soon as the monkeys would smell the food, they will scamper around the tree and they will stick their hands into the box and grab as much food as they can, thinking they are about to have a feast. But because they grabbed so much food, they now cannot pull their clenched fist out of the box. But you know, rather than letting go of those food, the monkeys would rather hang on to it. They think, wow, I got a treasure here. I'm not about to let go of it. I can't wait to eat this stuff. Even though I cannot get my hands out, my hand out, I'm just going to hold on as long as I can. Then the catchers would come and they would knock them on their head. And the monkeys will become food. And I think to myself, many times we are like those monkeys, aren't we? We grab on to so much stuff in this life, not realizing that the more we grab on to, the less freedom we have. And we don't want to let go of this stuff because we think it's our treasure. But because we are not willing to let go of our material wealth, we lose the greatest treasure, Jesus himself. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be challenged today. I want you to answer this question. I want you to look at your heart. What are you holding on to for your significance, for your security? What do you need to walk away from? Is there something in your life that you love more than God? Is there a God that is taking the place of Jesus in your life right now? Jesus is telling you today, give it up and follow me. You know, following Jesus is making a daily decision to choose Him over your earthly possessions and your earthly relationships. Once there was a girl was building a sand castle along the beach. Then, suddenly, the king of the whole kingdom happened to pass by during that time. Upon seeing the girl and her sand castle, the king offered her to take her to his real castle and promised to give her everything that she wished for. The girl told the king, but mister, can't you see that I already have my own sand castle? So she continued to build her own sand castle. Afterwards, 
the tide would come in and all of their sand castles would be gone. Many times we are like this girl. We hold on to things that don't last. Anything that we rely on for security, if it's not Jesus, then they are mere shadows, poor substitutes of what truly can give us security. When the rapture comes and the angels come to take you to heaven, will your hands be holding on to your SUVs and to your cash? How light is your hold on the things of this age? You know the real stuff is in the age to come. Your riches are nothing compared to what God can give you. Thieves can steal your riches. Moth and rust can destroy them. But what God will give you is eternal. Jesus himself is our greatest treasure. And it is our relationship with him that is eternal life. And to get this treasure, you've got to be willing to give up what you are holding on to right now. You know, if you know that, it changes your attitude towards everything. Because you are now free to be generous. Giving helps us to let go of stuff. Because when you give, when you give your hands open up. And it places you in a position to receive. Why do you think God would require us to tithe, to give to the church, in order to help us to let go, to turn our hearts back towards Him? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is it that you treasure the most in your life right now? May your answer be, in your heart and in your deeds, it's Jesus Christ alone. As a response song is being played, I want us to reflect on these questions. How are you doing in your giving? You know the measure of maturity in the life of a believer is how freely and gladly one gives. How are you measuring up? Does your giving reflect how much you love God? We lift our voices, we lift our hands, we lift our lives up to you. We are an offering, we are an Father, each one of us has asked that same question at one point in our life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe some of us, we have found the answer when we found you. Maybe others, we are still searching. Father, may you do what is humanly impossible today. May your spirit search our heart and help us to identify those things that take first place in our life. 
examine our money, our possessions, our relationships. Help us to repent of our idolatries, repent of the idols that are now in our heart. Turn our eyes away from the glamour and the glitter of riches in this world to look to the cross. Enable us to die daily to our pride, to our comforts, to our successes, to our ambitions, to our addictions. May we make you Lord over all those things and give us the ability to let go of them and lay them aside so that we can follow you with our whole heart and find our security in you and not from anything else that we have in this life. Father, teach us how to let go and be truly free from the control of riches, of lust, and of greed. Thank you for your promise that you do return to us even more than what we give up. Thank you for you and the relationship we have with you. Father, we just thank you for loving us so much in your Son, Jesus Christ. We delight in you, O Lord, so that may we have the courage to follow you with all of our lives. Thank you, and we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. We'll now have our communion. Jesus came to give his life away. In Mark chapter 10, we read that Jesus was sad for the rich young ruler. Why? Because he understands what it means to give up everything for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus is a son of God who dwells in perfection with the Heavenly Father. But for the sake of the kingdom, he gave it all up and become a man. He did not choose to stay in the palaces of kings, but he lived a poor, humble, and ordinary life. He gave up his riches. He gave up his comfort. He understands what it means to give up everything. He completed his mission by giving his very own life on the cross for you to pay for your sins. He relinquished all of his life, his possessions, so that you can be rich in him. Jesus has lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death that we deserve to die. For what? For you and me, so that we may have life, so that we may have eternal life. This explains Jesus' words to his disciples when they asked, Who then can be saved? His response, What is impossible with men is possible with God. He wants us to shift our focus from what we are able to do by ourselves to inherit eternal life to the one who gives eternal life. Eternal life is not something we inherit because of what we do. It is something that we receive because of who we are in Christ. Jesus has given his whole life for you on the cross. Why are you not willing to give up what you are holding right now to him? Discipleship is all about submission and surrender. What do you need to let go before the cross today? The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
，这个背是用外汇所得的信用。恁每一摆念的时，就安尼行，为着是纪念我。咱恭敬三合来领受纪念书。咱只是要用主导文来结束。We'll conclude with the Lord's Prayer. You can pray in English or Chinese according to your preference. 阮伫天内爸，愿你的名做圣，你的国降临，你的旨意伫正伫地顶，亲像伫天顶。所着用的美牛，今仔日相属阮，赦免阮的罪，亲像阮也赦免得罪阮的人。无得托阮拄着试探。叫阮脱离派，因为国权用光拢是你的，直到代代心情所愿。And now for some discussion questions with your family members or with your small group members or perhaps possibly some action points for the week. First, what thing or relationship are you holding on to? For your significance or for your security. Number two, what do you need to walk away from? What is the God that is taking the place of Jesus in your life right now? And number three, is there something in your life that you love more than God? If you say you love God more than anything else, how can you prove it? And now for some announcements. First, in spite of everything that has happened this past year, there are still so many things to be thankful for, to give you an opportunity to repay the Lord for all His countless blessings you may give to our New Year Thanksgiving offering. Our goal for this year is to raise 10 million pesos. As of the 31st of January, we have reached 20% of our goal. Now, you are not obligated to give, but if it is your prayerful desire to worship and to thank God through your offering, please kindly check out our Facebook page so as how you can give. Your generous giving allows us to carry out the mission of NMEC to be what God has called us to be. February is uh, Love Month and our Engaged Youth Fellowship which meets every Saturday, has special events prepared for you. Together with the Young Professionals Group, they will have special topics every Saturday evening from February 13 to 27 at 8 p.m. We have invited uh, special speakers for those events. If you are a parent or you want your teenage or young pro kids to attend, or if you yourself are in high school, or in college, or a young professional, please connect with Pastors Danny and Jaya for more details. Third, let us prepare our hearts spiritually for our prayer and fasting week. On February 15 to 19, with a culminating prayer meeting on Friday, the 19th of February at 8 p.m. Our Joshua and Women's Ministry has also gone online this uh, 16th of February, 8 p.m., Reverend Wilson Gonzalez will continue to share on the topic how to have an effective daily devotion, part two. And this will be shown on YouTube. Next, please pray for us as we are currently implementing the proper safety protocol so that we can best safely resume our physical church services. Please pray for God's leading when it is the right time to do so. Your health and wellness will always be our top priority and we will do our best not to put any one of you or your family members at risk. We will keep you posted concerning this in the coming weeks. The COVID pandemic has brought about rising suicide cases in many countries. If you have family members, relatives and friends who are currently going through some mental, emotional, or psychological issues, you can help them by referring them to our Joyful Hope Counseling Ministry. To schedule a counseling session, please visit our Facebook page, NMEC Joyful Hope, for more details. 
we assure you of the confidentiality of our counseling sessions as only the counselors know about your identity. They wouldn't even let me know. Next, for our parents, if you want your children to be part of our kids' worship Zoom Sunday school classes for 4 to 12 years old, please register at our Facebook page. Check out the NMEC Kids Worship for more details and updates. If you want to be part of a discipleship group or a small group, contact any of the pastoral team members and we will connect you with the group. If you have prayer concerns, you can call or text any of the pastoral staff and we will be more than glad to pray for you. If you have friends or relatives who would prefer to tune in to our Mandarin services or Mandarin Bible studies, then check out the Zoom link in our Facebook page or Viber group. Thank you again to all our co-workers who helped make our online worship every Sunday possible. To everyone who is serving, volunteering, giving, and praying for the church, I also want to express my gratitude. If you wish to participate more in serving or in giving to God's kingdom work through us, just check out our Facebook page, NMEC, for details. Lastly, we encourage you to follow our Facebook page, to share our post with your friends, and also to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you for worshiping with us. I pray that the Lord will bless and keep you. May His face continue to shine upon you, and may He be gracious to you. May you walk in His goodness and in His favor all throughout this week. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit be upon all of you. God bless you. See you soon. Remember, greater things are yet to come.